Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. First of all, I just want to uh, thank the hosts at IOU for uh, including me on this webinar, for inviting me to be a part um, of a webinar. It's, it is an, a great honor uh, to be with you all, mashallah, students from around the world. Um, each one of you is pursuing their Islamic education for different reasons. Some of you are pursuing it uh, to enhance your career. Some of you are pursuing it just to just to help yourself understand the religion better. Some of you are uh, reverts that have just started uh, learning these uh, these fundamentals of the religion and advancing in your knowledge of the religion. Some of you have been Muslim for 20, 30 years and subhanAllah now you're uh, taking this step in your life to actually go further and pursue an Islamic education. And this is all beautiful and uh, it's the timeless value of ilm, the timeless value of knowledge and the universal value of knowledge to every believer, every Muslim no matter what status they occupy um, and no matter how advanced they are. Uh, and there's absolutely no point in our lives when we ever become independent of this knowledge. So whether we have achieved, whether we've studied for 10 or 20 years, uh, we still we still have to stay put and persistent in pursuing this knowledge and continuing to research and continuing to grow. And the difference, the core difference between, you know, my topic is really uh, more of an al-siha session. It really is more of an advice session. I don't want you to consider this a lecture. As much as just a few reflections uh, in my own personal life, you know, having uh, you know, started to pursue started to pursue Islamic studies uh, at a serious level um, now about 16 years ago, alhamdulillah, so in my own personal life and also for everyone that's on this path, I really want you to see this more as an advice session, more as, uh, more as a reflection period and a contemplation period. How do we maintain sincerity in this pursuit? And how do we keep doing this the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala intended for us to do this? And how do we follow the sunnah of the Prophet as we go along uh, in this pursuit, inshaAllah ta'ala. Now, the key difference between seeking Islamic knowledge as opposed to seeking other knowledge, secular knowledge, and I'll talk about the difference between the two, inshaAllah ta'ala, in a little bit more detail. But the core difference is that, you know, usually when you study other forms of knowledge, when you go to a university, when you go to a college and you study science or you study accounting or you study... Uh, biology or the arts. Usually you learn what you have to to pass that class and then the only time you're going to recall that information later on in life is if you're actually going to need it for your practice. When it comes to Islamic studies, when it comes to the knowledge of this deen, each and every single component, even if it's mustalah al-hadith, even if it's the wordings in hadith, each and every single component, usul al-fiqh, legal, legal matters in the religion, uh, if it's creed, experiential creed, and internalizing the creed, if it has to do with if it has to do with fiqh, and if it has to do, um, you know, if if it has to do with with hadith, if it has to do with any science in this religion, what you do is you study, you internalize, and then you move on, and you never allow that which you learn to escape your practice. Otherwise, letting it escape your practice is the easiest way to lose that knowledge, just like any other field of knowledge in life. Letting that form of knowledge escape your practice. And so you're going to have the component of teaching it. And teaching it does not necessarily mean teaching it uh, at a university level or giving lectures online. Teaching it to your family members, teaching it to 
you know, that, that brother or sister that just accepted Islam and is trying to learn the religion themselves, teaching it in your in your in your halaqa, in your own personal halaqa, teaching it at your uh, Muslim students group, whatever it may be. Part of it, part of retaining that knowledge is teaching it. And then the more essential part of that is to practice upon it, inshaAllah ta'ala. And you might ask yourself right away when you hear a statement like that, if you've studied something very technical in the religion, how is it that you still practice upon it? Well, you practice upon it by, you know, as far as the very technical aspects, by still trying to maintain that same integrity and that rigorous study when you still read a hadith, for example, when you still read, when, when you still come across a text, you try to apply the tools that you've learned and uh, use them to analyze critically the texts that have been presented to you. So that's on the more technical aspects. But what about the aspects, for example, that are to push us closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? What about the Qur'an? How much contempl contemplating do you do on the Qur'an? How much tadabbur and tafakkur? How much introspection is there when you're reading the Qur'an? When you're reading those stories of the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, how much are you trying to bring his aspects or the, the, the things that he went through alayhi salatu wasalam, into your own life? What are you doing to internalize or practice you know, such a perfect example or bring such a perfect example into your own life knowing your own imperfections? So there, these are a few things that inshallah ta'ala just to set the premise for the discussion that we're going to have uh, today inshallah ta'ala. These are a few things to keep in mind. How do I internalize um, these forms of knowledge? Alhamdulillah. So by saying Yarhamukallah, even though you can't see me, inshallah ta'ala, that's one of the ways that you internalize uh, knowledge. So let's get started. The, the hadith that I want to get started on right away is a hadith that's narrated by Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Um, in some in some forms, it is mawquf to Ibn Mas'ud which means it is narrated as a saying of Ibn Mas'ud, and in some ways, it's narrated marfu' to the Prophet sallam. It is a saying of the Messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam, where we are taught that seeking knowledge in three different ways is detrimental to our lives. That there are three different ways to seek knowledge in a way that will actually be detrimental in our lives. So we'll start off with the extreme examples. The first of them is to to, to seek knowledge, to turn people's faces towards you. And that's the major one, to grab the attention of other people rather than grabbing the attention of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the first one. Number two, to argue with people of knowledge. When you want to learn for the sole purpose of going out and arguing with people, uh, of knowledge, so that you can start to, you know, so that you can start to shame them, or so that you can start to put yourself on their level, and it's very easy uh, to discredit a person or a person's life when they've studied for 20, 30 years, when you're able to catch them, or in your eyes catch them on one hadith, for example, and you say, hey, look, I've studied this, and this is what this hadith means, and so on and so forth, and in the process of that, what you're really trying to do is you're trying to elevate yourself to that person's status. You're trying to skip everything that they went through and all of the rigorous training that they went through and put yourself on their status. And the third one is to shame the ignorant, to talk down to somebody, to make someone look bad. You know, it's, it's, if a person is addicted to the rush of, of, uh, of gotcha and, and you know, the, of being able to put someone in their place, right, whether it's online or whether it's in real life, then having knowledge in your arsenal or what you appear to, what you think is knowledge, 
um, but is really just information, having that in your arsenal can be very dangerous. And so we're warned from these three things. And if you notice, all three of them, number one, they contain the element of riyah. They contain the element of showing off and uh, trying to gain the, uh, the attention of other people. So in whatever fashion, if you're trying to shame the ignorance, you're either trying to get that ignorant person to look at you in a certain way, or the person that you feel is ignorant, to look at you in a certain way, or you want other people to see that argument, to see that discussion, and to appreciate your superiority, your intellectual superiority, or your, knowledge, your superiority and knowledge to that other person. So that's one of them. It has to do with riya. The second one, which is, uh, you know, and I'm going backwards right now in the hadith, which is to, to argue with the scholar. Once again, you're trying to show people that you are on the level of that person. So either you're doing riyat to that scholar, to that learned man, or that learned woman, and showing that person that, you know, look, I've studied as well, and I'm on your level as well. Or, more likely, you want other people to observe this argument or to observe this discussion and to put you on that same pedestal and to put you on that same platform. And the, the, the third one, which was the first one in the hadith, is to turn people's faces towards you. And sometimes you can combine all three of these into one incident, all right? But at the end of the day, as the narration tells us, at that point, you are basically, uh, you're basically earning your hellfire, okay? You should choose your place in hellfire at that point, which is really interesting because the, uh, the other authentic hadith where the Prophet ﷺ talks about choosing your place in hell, and there are a few of them, but, but there's another one that's related the Prophet says, Man anni Whoever lies on my behalf intentionally, intentionally, let him choose his place in hellfire. Now, how do you tie these two narrations? Okay, both of them are, uh, are, are basically guaranteeing a person hellfire. How do you tie the two? One of them is, is a lie in the sense of uh, conveying information that is not true on the part of the Prophet. So to convey a hadith that is fabricated or extremely weak, um, you know, knowing or, or, or fabricated even from yourself. You know, then here is really, you know, you are intentionally lying on the part of the Prophet For you to lie on the part of the Prophet by conveying false information on the part of the Prophet you are earning your hellfire. You might as well choose your place in hellfire at that point. It's very scary. But that's the external piece. But what about the person that gets up there and tries to turn people's attention towards him or towards her, um, but they're conveying the right information? Why is that person choosing their place in hellfire? Why is that person earning hellfire? Because in both cases, you are falsely representing the Prophet sallallahu in the, in, in the case of, of uh, you know, fabricating information and then attributing it to the Prophet sallallahu you're, you're lying in your words. There is kathib bil-qawl. There's, there's uh, lying in the way that you're speaking. When you stand up and you actually state information that does come from the Prophet though you're likely to skew it if you have the wrong intentions. You're, you're likely to make it fit into your own agenda. But if you're someone that's conveying factual information, you're conveying an authentic hadith, but for intentions that are not noble, then you are lying in your actions. You are falsely portraying yourself as a representative of the Messenger. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, because the people of knowledge, al-ulama, the people of knowledge are the inheritors of the Prophet. So in both of these situations, you are falsely representing the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And what the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam brought forth 
uh, to save humanity. And so you have to be very, very, very careful when you are speaking on the part of the Prophet ﷺ, both in regards to the information that you're conveying and the intention that you have as you convey that information. And when you tie these two things together, what it tells us is that we have a lot of work to do on ourselves. And usually, you know, in Tuskia and spirituality, what we find is that one spiritual disease is indicative of another spiritual disease. So if, you know, if, if I'm, for example, shaming the ignorant, if I'm shaming someone who I believe to be beneath me in knowledge by quoting, uh, you know, quoting authentic knowledge or so on and so forth, then there is obviously the element of riyah that's already been established. The element of showing off and trying to win over the sight of the people is already evident by me carrying out that action. However, what also may be the case is that I might have a sense of kibir, I might have a sense of pride, which is a far worse disease, which is, uh, you know, that, that I find myself superior to that person, that I actually think that I'm superior to that person, the way that shaitan thought that he was superior to Adam So there's also that element as well now. So it's not just riyah, it's also kibir. Okay? Likewise, if I'm arguing with that Adam, I might think, because remember, Iblis is... Uh, his problem with Adam was one of pride and one of envy. So it could be that either I find myself more worthy to be in that person's position than that person is, or I envy the position that that person holds. So I have the disease of Riyah, and I also have the disease of Hasad, for example. I have the disease of envy. And of course, turning people's faces towards me that, you know, Riyah is, is often a sign of having uh, a true spiritual void inside of you. When you haven't tasted the sweetness of acting solely for the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then you will crave attention from other people. When you don't know what it's like to do things solely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and get the attention from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the gratification does not come in the form of an announcement, it doesn't come in the form of an award, it doesn't come in the form of a trophy, there's no monetary appreciation or it's not shown at least, you don't get a certificate, but knowing that you are acting for your creator and knowing that your creator is the one that's watching you at that moment, that is far more gratifying than anything that can be presented to you in this world. But if you haven't experienced that, then you're going to crave attention from other people quite naturally. And so that's a problem that we have here. Uh, and, and Riyah, which is what the Prophet ﷺ called the hidden shirk, okay, the hidden shirk, um, manifests itself in our in our lives in various ways. So it can affect us in our ibadah, in our acts of worship. So we might prolong our prostration um, in front of other people, or we might read the Qur'an a little bit louder, or we might go to the masjid at certain times because we know we'll be seen at those times. It might corrupt our good character because our good character might be simply to impress other people. It can corrupt our speech, okay, the way that we speak, because when we speak, we're not speaking to inspire, we're speaking to impress. We're not speaking to, to, to gain the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we're speaking words that will please the people, okay, and by please the people, what that means is it will allow them to see us in a certain light. So it corrupts that, it corrupts our ilm, it corrupts our knowledge, because when we pursue knowledge, you know, I'll tell you the core difference between a person that is sitting and studying for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as opposed to a person that is studying for the sake of people. If a person is studying for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they're listening to a lecture or they're reading a book 
and they're coming across information that is, uh, you know, for example, an admonishment of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, okay, or from Allah subhanahu wa taala in the Quran, or they come across a story. When you come across that story, is the first thought that goes through your mind, uh, you know, how does that apply to me, or am I guilty of the same elements that the party that was being admonished in the story was guilty of? Am I guilty of some of the same elements that the Prophet ﷺ was criticizing? So you actually start to reflect as you are listening, as you are hearing, on your own self, on your own life. Right? You actually start to internalize it immediately. If you're studying for the sake of gaining attention, and if you're really out there just to just to gain some, you know, some sort of approval, then more likely what you're doing is you're saying, ah, that's a cool detail that I bet no one has heard before. I bet you no one's heard this story before. I can't wait to tell this story again, you know? And so one person is listening with their heart because they're internalizing the story or they're internalizing the hadith or they're internalizing the ayah or the great aqwal of the salaf, the great statements of our pious predecessors. And they're thinking about it in their own lives. And then later on when they come to teach, when they come to, to, to give that lesson, they give it after having processed it with their hearts. Okay? So they give that sincere advice in return after they receive the sincere advice with their hearts. But some people, right, they might be listening to those stories, listening to those ahadith, and it doesn't go past their, you know, it doesn't go past their minds and their tongues. It, it never gets processed by the heart. But instead, you're already thinking about how to embellish the story and embellish the hadith or embellish that ayah or that statement so that you can give it in a better way, in a way that's going to impact people and so on and so forth. That's very problematic. That's, that's quite problematic. And, and again, uh, it starts with readjusting your attitude. Everything in life starts with readjusting your attitude. You have to catch yourself as you're reading, as you're listening. You have to catch yourself and tell yourself, wait a minute, before I think about how to give this in a khutbah, or how to give this in a halakha, or how to give this in a lecture, or how to convey this, how is it being conveyed to me? What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala expect from me? What do I get out of the story? Right? How do I process this in my own life? And even if it's, it, that's at a later time, because sometimes you know, you're taking notes obviously very quickly as, as, as the lecture is coming to you. Some of you might be doing that right now, right? You're taking notes. And uh, especially if it's someone who talks fast like I do, all right? I get that complaint all the time that I talk too fast then you're not even having a chance to process anything because it's right away onto the next lesson, onto the next statement, onto the next story. Okay? So that can be a problem, right? But even then, after the lecture is over, okay, do you sit with yourself, sit with your notes, internalize, process, think how you can change your life for the better? Okay? When you hear an amazing story about the qiyam of the Prophet wasallam, about the standing up in prayer, of the Prophet or the Qiyam of Abu Bakr, or the Qiyam of Fatima, may Allah be pleased with all of his companions, alayhi salatu wasalam. When you hear one of those stories, do you, you know, what is your reflection? Is it, okay, I need to start trying to find a way to apply this within my own capacity, or I can't wait to share the story, right? Or, or you know, people are going to love this one. So it's a very dangerous thing, and, and, and you know, as, as I, would, I would say, I'm not going to uh, exempt myself from this advice. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect me, first and foremost, from this disease of trying to impress as opposed to trying to uh, gain the sight and the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
So the essence of it all, first and foremost, how do you make the sight of Allah more beloved to you than the sight of the people? How do you make the sight of Allah more beloved to you than the sight of the people? And then how does that reflect itself in your pursuit of knowledge? Because there are ways to process this now in your pursuit of ibadah, in your pursuit of worship, or your pursuit of good character, or volunteerism, or so on and so forth. But particularly when it comes to knowledge. Number one, you have to learn things and apply things without having any recognition for them whatsoever. So there have to be things in your life. You know, you, you don't just study to teach because that's very dangerous, but sometimes you study to apply. You study to practice. So if the only time you read and you study is to, is to put yourself in a position, is to pursue something of this world, when there is an incentive, then that can be quite insincere. So at times, for example, I'm going to read the Qur'an, not to extract a tafsir. I'm going to read the Qur'an to contemplate and do tadabbur and do tafakkur, right? And to, and to really have moments of reflection and introspection. At times, I'm going to read the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ, not because I need to prepare a lesson on the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ, but because, you know, I just want to have some moments alone with the Prophet ﷺ seerah. I'm going to read Riyadh al-Salihin, or I'm going to read... Uh, you know the various books uh, of, of 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 a hadith of authentic a hadith and collections to benefit myself, not to present it. Okay, and this becomes very difficult when you are in a position. And you know, I, I assume that many of you, inshallah ta'ala, will move on to be in this position if you're not already in this position of presenting frequently, almost perpetually presenting, where you no longer read for your own benefit, but you only read for the benefit of others. That's very dangerous. Because a lot of times we move straight from learning to preaching as opposed to learning, practicing, and preaching. So you have to have moments in your life where you study, where you read, where you, uh, where, where you reflect and contemplate for no other reason but to benefit yourself and to grow yourself. So that's one thing. Okay. Number two, especially when you come across um, acts of worship okay, and very tangible actions. All right, you really need to find a way to, 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 to put an effort to apply that in some capacity. So I'll give you an example. A lot of times people ask about this concept of hypocrisy. Look, can I not teach about Qiyamul Layl, for example, if I don't pray Qiyamul Layl? You should not be teaching about Qiyamul Layl if you're not applying yourself to include some aspect of Qiyam in your life. Okay? So what that means is, you know, it doesn't mean that, if, that I have to be praying all night long to teach the example of the Prophet ﷺ about his praying all night long. But at least, you know, I should have an effort, I should have the intention, I should be trying to apply myself, even if it's not happening, but I should be trying to apply myself to have some aspect of that in my own life before I preach it to others. Okay, so that's number two. If, if, and if I see something about sadaqah, charity, then I need to find a way to apply it in my own capacity as well. There's a very famous incident with Imam Hassan al-Basri rahimahullah ta'ala where Imam Hassan al-Basri rahimahullah ta'ala was informed about uh, the, the multitude of slaves. And so, you know, he was asked to give a khutbah about the virtue of freeing slaves. And he agreed to it. He saw the problem. He identified that there was a problem in society um, and that slaves needed to be freed and Muslims needed to apply the sunnah of freeing slaves. And he agreed to it and he agreed that he would give a khutbah about it, that he would mention it from the member. 
So the, the khutbah came and the people that advised him about that, they, they heard nothing of that sort. Then the next khutbah came and they heard nothing of that sort. Then the third khutbah, Imam Hassan al-Basri rahimahullah, he gave this khutbah and he encouraged the people to free their slaves. And subhanAllah, when he gave that advice and he encouraged the people to free their slaves, people were freeing slaves right and left. So the streets were filled with freed slaves. And he was asked why he waited for three weeks to give that khutbah when he saw the need three weeks ago. And he said that, you know, I myself didn't own a slave, I didn't have one, nor did I have the money to free a slave. So subhanAllah, he took on an extra effort to go and earn some money so that he could free a slave, so that when he stands up and he preaches, there is some level of practice. Now realize, you know, people were freeing slaves and they were probably freeing tens and, and you know, tens of slaves and so on and so forth. And he might have only freed one, but at least he applied himself. He made a sincere intention and he applied himself in some aspect, right? So especially when you come across acts of worship or when you come across very tangible things, then you need to find a way, inshallah ta'ala, to, to apply yourself and to apply that in your life in some capacity. If you're not the richest person in the world, and, and you know most likely you're not, I'm certainly not, then what we do is we'll give some level of sadaqah. If I'm going to call the people, tonight inshallah ta'ala I'm going to be in a fundraiser. So if I'm going to be at this fundraiser tonight, and I'm going to be calling the people to give 100000 150000 200000 dollars for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then at least I need to make sure that I'm going to slip my $5. If that's all I'm capable of, that's what I'm going to do. But I'm going to do something. Okay? So that I am not one of those people. Why do you say that which you yourself don't do? So when you come across a tangible action, okay, an act of worship or a praiseworthy act from the Messenger وسلم, or from, from his companions, then you yourself need to apply it in your own capacity before you open your mouth about it to anyone else. Okay? Or simultaneously at least, as you are telling other people about it, you yourself should be engaged in it. If you are not, then you need to make it very clear that you're not and you need to or, or avoid the topic altogether. Okay? And this is uh, highlighted through many ayat in the Quran, Surah Al Baqarah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Atamuruna nasa bil birri wa tansauna anfusakum wa antum tatduna al kitab. Uh, do you command the people to do good? You forget yourselves. Realize Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this ayah in Surah Al-Baqarah, um, as one of the great Mufassireen pointed out, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala used the quality of forgetfulness, nisyan. You forgot. You forgot yourself. Not that you are slag, you know, slacking or you're lagging behind yourself, but you've actually forgotten yourself. You're not even thinking about yourself anymore. When you tell other people to do things, you are completely ignoring your own self and your own practice and your own spirituality, right? And you're reciting the book. Don't you think, right? Then Allah Subhanahu wa Taala calls you to a, to an action. Okay, apply yourself in patience and prayer. And in some uh, interpretations, sabr here is fasting. So. Force yourself into fasting and prayer. Increase in your ibadat. Increase in your acts of worship. Okay? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, don't forget yourself when you talk to other people. In whatever capacity that is. Whether you're lecturing your family or you're lecturing your brothers or your sisters, don't forget yourself. You should at least be consciously thinking about how to apply this yourself, even if you're not applying it at the moment. You should be consciously thinking about how you can apply this in your own life as opposed to just telling other people how to apply. 
Okay, so that's the second thing. When you come across knowledge, when you come across things that are tangible from the Prophet or, or from the Quran, from the Sunnah, from the from the actions of our pious predecessors, how are you yourself applying it in your own capacity? And be very careful not to forget yourself in the process. Okay? The third thing, and this is very, very, very important, because if you realize two of the three things, the, the hadith, and I hope you guys uh, you know, will remember this narration, inshallah, so you can catch yourself. Ibn Mas'ud, what I started off with, uh, there were three things. Turning people towards you, turning people's faces towards you, meaning gaining their attention. The second thing was shaming the ignorant. The third thing was arguing with the scholar. Two-thirds of that narration include arguments, argumentation, al-jidal. An argumentation is not something that a person should pursue, okay? A person should not busy themselves in constant argumentation, in constant bickering, in constant negativity. You know, if you, subhanAllah, Allah Azza wa refers to the society before Islam as a society of jahiliyyah, as a society of ignorance, right? The days of ignorance. And ilm came, knowledge came, and it was nur, and it was a light. So the Prophet wasallam's coming with, with the message that he came with and with the example to show us how to apply that message is an era of light. It is a light for this world. How then can knowledge can knowledge bring us back to the aspects of jahiliyyah, to the days of ignorance? Okay, so the traits of jahiliyyah cannot come from knowledge, from true, sincere, authentic knowledge. And that's why uh, Imam Ahmed ta'ala was asked about uh, a very famous uh, man by the name of Bishr al-Hafi. Uh, he was asked about him and he was told he's not even a scholar. Imam Ahmed Allah said, but he has the fruit, the fruit of knowledge, which is humility. The fruit of knowledge is humility. Knowledge is not supposed to make you more arrogant. Knowledge is not supposed to make you more argumentative. Knowledge is not to, to give you pride and, and, and riyah and you know showing off and so on and so forth. If that is the case, it is not knowledge. It is ignorance that's disguised with information. Okay? Because the heart was not ready to absorb that knowledge that was coming to it. So knowledge is to guide you towards good things. Okay? That doesn't mean that there is no room for, uh, you know, for for, for uh, calling out certain things and for uh, responding to certain things and for pointing out inconsistencies and, 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 and things that are incorrect. There is room for that in our religion. There is no doubt. But it belongs to, you know, it belongs to a certain group of people. There are certain people that are qualified to do that. That's number one. Number two. A person should not do it in a nasty way. If a person does it in a nasty way, when you argue in a nasty way, don't claim to be arguing on the part of the Prophet When things are very personal and very nasty, then don't claim to be arguing on the part of the Prophet That's not ilm that's inspiring you. That's not knowledge that's inspiring you. That's pure ignorance and arrogance. Okay? Because if what you were arguing on behalf of was noble, then your manners in arguing that which was noble or that which is noble would also be noble. So the way that you would speak on the part of the Prophet ﷺ who is noble and on the part of his message which is noble should also be noble. There should also be nobleness in your characteristics and your mannerisms as you defend the truth, as you speak on the part of the truth. So there has to be a level of humility as you present yourself, as you speak, as you talk. 
that you that subhanallah you're not you know you're teaching people the truth you know we we many times this is one of the major major problems that we have we are so obsessed with uh, with, with with crushing certain things that we forget to teach people that which is right we forget to teach people the truth you know we forget that we came with a light that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us something that is that is far superior to anything else this divine knowledge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given has provided through the Quran and through the Messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam is beautiful it is it is it is intellectually superior it is it is more convincing than anything else that is out there so we have to apply ourselves inshallah ta'ala to teaching in a positive fashion to putting out things in a positive fashion not engaging in in things that actually represent ignorance and actually represent the days of jahiliyyah and so on and so forth knowledge should guide a person to good character and it should guide a person to humility to carrying themselves in a certain way not carrying themselves in an arrogant way otherwise it's one of two things either there was a problem in the knowledge that was given to you okay or there was a problem with the heart that that was was receiving the knowledge or not receiving the knowledge in this case so either there was a, there, there was something wrong with the information or the vessel that was supposed to receive and process the information okay was not correct it was not right so how do you solve this problem number one you look towards that which is good and that which that which that which is uh, consistent with the authenticity of the religion as well as the values of the religion and so on and so forth so you look towards that which appears to be most authentic and which appears to uh, you know which which appears to be um, in, in accordance with the overall message of Islam okay number two you correct your heart so that your heart is in the right place when you're listening to that knowledge so that you you, you absorb it in a proper way and that's that's really what's most in your control that's really what's most in your capacity and you do that through various ways as we mentioned you do it through practice you do it through uh, through, through uh, contemplation you do it through reflection and I'm going to end on this note, inshallah ta'ala. This might come off as a very, 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 you know, harsh advice, but I will give it, inshallah ta'ala, just out of love uh, to, to the students of knowledge all around the world, people that have taken this step. It is not valid for a person. It is not good for a person to say, if someone comes to me and says, I want to study, and, you say, and, I, and I say, why do you want to study? And they say, so I can give lectures to thousands of people. You're already getting it wrong. If your intention from the start is to lecture large groups of people, and to become famous as a result of your knowledge, you're already getting it wrong. Because the Prophet said, he who does not acquire knowledge with the sole intention of pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not even smell the scent of Jannah. Now there's something very important to note here. The Prophet says that, uh, that uh, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wishes to make the path of Jannah easy for a person, he, he makes the path of knowledge easy for that person. So the path of knowledge is the path that leads to Jannah, right? The path of knowledge is the the path of Jannah. So if you are using that path of knowledge to acquire other than Jannah, then why would Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala let you smell Jannah or see Jannah or experience the beauty of Jannah? So number one, your intention should be to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to attain the rewards of the hereafter. But what if someone comes and says, but Sheikh, I'm seeing it as a, as a means. I'm not seeing it as an end. I'm seeing it as a means. You know, I don't want to uh, teach thousands of people for the attention piece of it. I want to teach thousands of people to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to guide 
to guide them to the truth. And that's my intention for going and seeking this knowledge and so on and so forth. If that's the case, then the number and the amount of the fame is irrelevant. Okay? It's completely irrelevant. If you notice the very famous hadith, the best of you are those who learn the Quran and then teach it. There's no quantity here. It's not, you know, the Prophet did not say those who learn the Quran and then teach it to one person will have such a reward. And those who learn the Quran and then teach it to ten people will have such a reward. No. The best of you are those who learn and who teach. There's no doubt. There's virtue in teaching. But remember, in our religion and in the way that we understand our faith, it's not about quantity, it's about quality. So when it comes to good deeds, لِيَبْلُوَكُمْ أَيُّكُمْ أَحْسَنُ عَمَلًا Allah subhanahu wa says in Surah Al-Mulk, that he is testing you, testing you with أَحْسَنُ عَمَلًا Who will have the best of deeds, not أَكْثَرُ عَمَلًا Okay, not who will have the most good deeds, who will have the best good deeds, who will have the most quality in that which they do. And the Prophet told us that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would reward a good deed from 10 to 700 times to whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills. So if I'm teaching one person, one person, for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, purely for the sake of Allah, to connect that person to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and I'm very sincere in that, I could be getting the reward, because Allah could multiply that good deed millions and millions and billions of times, I could be getting the reward of a person that teaches millions of people. It's, it doesn't require you to have a large audience. And if you, quite frankly, if you get upset and you get demoralized or you feel demoralized when you don't find your audience growing, then that's a problem that you have. Because then it's not about pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's about pleasing your own self. It's about getting your own rush. So the size of your audience should not matter to you. It should be completely irrelevant to you. And a lot of times in the process of seeking, you know, uh, a lot, you know and, and, and you see it all the time, someone gets on YouTube and starts making videos. And when those videos don't get the view count that they want, what do they do? They start getting really negative and they start uh, talking about very controversial topics that they have no business talking about and they start attacking people and so on and so forth because those are the ones that are definitely going to garner the attention and the views. You get bitter as a result of that. If your goal, if you're, seeing, if, if you're measuring your success in, in teaching knowledge by how many people you're reaching, when you don't get that reach, you get negative, you get bitter. You start to hate other people who do have that reach, and you start to envy them. You start to, you know, you start to uh, resort to, to to unethical things in order to grow that reach. How is that for Allah Subhanahu wa Taala? How can that possibly be for Allah Subhanahu wa Taala? Look, you can convince yourself otherwise, but at the end of the day, there was a faulty premise to start with, which was, I want to affect this many people. I want to go and teach this many people. Okay, you also end up neglecting that person who goes to the masjid with you that doesn't know how to read Qur'an, right? That's, that's waiting for someone to come to them and say, hey, let me teach you how to read the Qur'an. I can teach you some basic Arabic. I can teach you some basic Tajweed. You're neglecting the people that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put around you because you're so, sat, you're so, um, you know, you're so in, engulfed and in, engrossed in this pursuit of a large audience. Don't neglect the people around you. And of course, the worst people to neglect would be your family members. And a lot of times that does happen, that we, we fail to teach our own family members. And we fail to apply within our own family members because we're so busy and engulfed and so on and so forth with the huge, with the glamour and with the splash and with the rush and so on and so forth. So you have to be very, 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 very careful from that. 
don't pursue for the audience. And just in general, by the way, when it comes to da'wah, when it comes to doing things for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, don't measure your success by the results because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is in charge of the results. So if Allah did not give you the results that you wanted, that's okay. Because you're only in charge of the process. You are only in, in, in charge of the process, whether it's knowledge or action. So purify yourself in the process and let Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deal with the results. And when you meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment, and I meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment, whether our uh, whether we were able to make a huge impact in this world or not, if we intended to make any sort of impact for his sake, inshallah ta'ala, it will be beneficial for us. And it will be uh, for our uh, for, for our goodness, inshallah ta'ala. And in conclusion here, Allah tells us in the Qur'an to uh, to seek the best of this world and the best of the next. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us to say, رَبَّنَا آتِنَا فِي الدُّنْيَا حَسَنًا وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ حَسَنًا وَقِنَا عَذَابَ النَّارِ Oh Allah, give us the best of this world and the best of the next life and protect us from the hellfire. And Imam Hassan al-Basri rahimahullah ta'ala, he says, الْحَسَنَا فِي الدُّنْيَا Goodness in this world is three things. It's three things. Number one, beneficial knowledge. Okay? We ask Allah protection from knowledge which is of no benefit. The Prophet used to seek refuge in Allah from knowledge that has no benefit. So number one, hasana, goodness in this world is beneficial knowledge. Number two, it's rizqan tayyibah. It's to have pure halal sustenance. Regardless of the quantity, what Allah gives you is, number one, earned through pure means. So from your side, you've earned it through pure means. Number two, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he gives it to you, he puts barakah in it. He puts blessing in it. So that even if it's very little, with the blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's able to sustain you and it becomes much. Number three, amalan mutaqabbala, accepted good deeds. Accepted by who? By the people? No, accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So these are three things that the Prophet taught us in a dua to say every morning and every single evening. Allahumma inni as'aluka ilman nafi'a wa rizqan tayyiba wa amalan mutaqabbala. Allahumma inni as'aluka ilman nafi'a wa rizqan tayyiba wa amalan mutaqabbala. Allahumma inni as'aluka ilman nafi'a wa rizqan tayyiba wa amalan mutaqabbala. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for beneficial knowledge, knowledge that is acquired through sincerity knowledge that causes us to contemplate on our own selves, knowledge that we uh, that we teach to the people in a beautiful way and that allows them to apply it within their capacity as well, knowledge that will lead us to the path of Jannah and not lead us away from Jannah, knowledge that will purify our hearts and not increase the diseases within our hearts. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us pure hala sustenance, sustenance that will uh, take care of us, sustain us and our family, sustenance that does not have any haram in it, Sustenance that will allow us to, uh, to to enjoy our dunya without sacrificing anything of the hereafter. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us amalan mutaqabbala, to give us accepted good deeds. Deeds that he sees sincerity in, deeds that he is pleased with, deeds that are in accordance with the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that don't contain any form of innovation or any form of, of, of deviance within our hearts. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to pursue that which is good and to accept it um, for the sake of our akhirah, for the sake of our hereafter. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that when we find insincerity in our hearts and when we find ourselves uh, straying away 
in any fashion, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides us to the true path, to the sincere path, that Allah allows us to see our faults, to identify them, and to correct them in this world. And surely when we pass away, there will be things that we were unable to correct. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive us for our shortcomings and enter us into Jannah al-Firdaus, make our pursuits sincere, and join us with the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allahumma ameen. Jazakumullahu khayran. Uh, I guess I'll take questions now. But it's been a pleasure, inshallah, and I'll, and I'll take these questions now um, from you all. Uh, I just wanted to say that tonight, inshallah ta'ala, I'll actually be posting about 7.40 p.m., I'll be posting a live link for a fundraiser, inshallah ta'ala, for a very special masjid, a very special project here in Irving, Texas, uh, for the Valley Ranch Islamic Center. I'll be posting this on my Facebook page, and uh, you'll be able to hear some inspiring lectures from Sheikh Abdul Nasser Jangda, from Sheikh Yasser Burjas, um, and inshallah ta'ala others, uh, as we try to uh, raise money for this project. So please join in with us, inshallah, join in with the Khair tonight, inshallah, 740 p.m. Central Time, so that's 8.40 p.m. New York Time, uh, Eastern Time. Uh, you can look out for it, inshallah ta'ala, on my page, and also you can look up Valley Ranch Islamic Center. So inshallah ta'ala, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll go ahead and take questions now. Jazakallah khair. Jazakallah khairan, uh, Omar, for this wonderful lecture that you gave us today. Um, we are very grateful to you for reminding us about the danger of uh, studying and supporting knowledge, all the things that come along with that. And also, and also that we should say that we do not May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you immensely and let all of us have an easy path to Jannah and smell its wonderful fragrance. Before we start the Q&A, I would like just to remind everybody that's with us today that we are in open registration right now for all of our programs and classes until March. We offer a bachelor and master degree in Islamic studies as well as many other degrees, streams, diplomas and certificates in Islamic banking and finance, Islamic psychology, education, IT and business administration. We also have our Global Quranic Memorization Center, Ijaza program, and intensive Arabic language program, all affordable, accessible, and can be done easily according to your schedule from your home. Uh, we also have El Mu'minat coming in only a few days by Alama Ashfaq, so please don't miss, miss this incredible opportunity to comprehend the status of women during the pre-Islamic eras and the honor brought to women by Islam, also some of the challenges facing Muslim women in the contemporary society. Uh, we're going to start with the first question now for Sheikh Omar. How do we prevent ourselves from procrastination in the pursuit of knowledge? So how do I um, prevent myself from procrastination? I will tell you this, uh, you know, subhanAllah, my greatest frustration with students of knowledge, um, be they actually in a university, or people that, that you know take weekend seminars or attend weekly halakhas and so on and so forth is the lack of seriousness and the lack of discipline um, in pursuing that knowledge. You have to be disciplined when you pursue that knowledge. And so just like the Prophet mentioned, because ilm and amal are two consistent things in our religion. Ilm which is knowledge and amal which is action. And the Prophet says, uh, The most beloved of actions to Allah are those which are consistent, even if they're very small. So when you apply that in knowledge, in ilm, that the, the most beloved of knowledge is that which is consistently sought out, truly. It's consistently sought out. Even if it's in small doses, um, you know, you're, you're consistent, you are disciplined. Um, 
So the first thing is, is you know, don't let the culture. There is a culture when it comes to, to, to Islamic knowledge and when it comes to volunteer work as a whole of being very mediocre. Your pursuit of knowledge for the sake of the Akhirah should be greater than your pursuit uh, of knowledge for anything else. Okay, now that doesn't mean, uh, I need to clarify that and qualify that. We should be uh, straight-A students, inshallah ta'ala, in engineering, in accounting, whatever it may be. But your pursuit of knowledge for the Akhirah should have ihsan in it. It should have more sincerity, it should have a greater quality of ihsan and excellence in it than anything else because you're pursuing it for something that is, uh, that, that is uh, you know, invaluable. So, what I would say is, first and foremost, give yourself a schedule. You have to have a schedule, and you have to maintain consistency with that schedule. If you're incapable of holding yourself accountable to that schedule, then you need to have someone else along with you, inshallah ta'ala, and you hold each other accountable. But you need to stay on schedule. Uh, I've seen a lot of people drop out of online programs. You know, I, I teach for Mishkai University. I've, I've, I've taught for um, other online universities and things of that sort, and subhanAllah, I've always seen that. A lot of times people get overwhelmed because they procrastinate, they leave everything for the last moment and then all of a sudden it just gets too overwhelming and they're either, they're, they're either going to do a very mediocre job with their papers so when they submit their assignments it's going to be really, really, really bad um, and they wouldn't have gotten the benefit of studying properly or, or presenting it properly um, or they just drop out. And so what I would say is commit to a schedule. You have to actually have a schedule. Uh, and this is true for all forms of studying, all forms of Islamic work. You have to commit to it. Even if you finished all your assignments, and it's always good to be ahead of the game, even if you finished all your assignments, you still have this particular portion of the day where you're going to study, where you're going to dedicate yourself to knowledge, even if it's just revision of the Qur'an, revision of things that you've memorized. And particularly what I'd advi advise people is the Prophet says, Burika li ummati fi bukuriha. Allah has blessed my nation and it's morning hours. We have barakah in our morning hours. Uh, make use of the time in the morning. Make use of your early mornings, inshallah, even before work if you can. Uh, between Salat al-Fajr and Duha if you can, between Salat al-Fajr and the sunrise, between Fajr and work, make use of that time, inshallah. Time. Okay, Jazakallah Karen. And I've also had complaints about certain programs where there's too much freedom. But here at IOU, we do have a schedule, schedule, mandatory midterm deadline, so that we can not just give give them all of that freedom and they reach the end point and they're like, oh no, I haven't done anything and now it's too late. So, Alhamdulillah, we we ask all the students to stay on track, like Sheikh Omar said, and keep up with your deadlines so that you can be successful because procrastination is definitely deadly as a student of knowledge. Um, and also the organized study effort, I'm sure you would agree, Sheikh Omar, that it does help more than just going to this holika and that holika. I mean, I know you also are affiliated with Bayena, and uh, I think the structured organization of learning your Islamic knowledge is definitely beneficial. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I, it's very, it is very, very crucial. And there's a reason why these institutions have existed throughout history. There are very few people in life that are that self-motivated. You know, the Imam al-Shafi'is who will, rahimahullah, you know, whose mothers will go and collect papers from the government dumpsters and, you know, who don't have ink and will have to push themselves through halakas and so on and so forth. There are very few people in life that are like that. And, uh, and even those that are like that benefit from having a system in place. 
So definitely organizing your knowledge, even if you're going over things that you already knew, you've already known in the past. I've, 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 I've heard that complex at times, you know, where I already know this stuff, I've already studied this stuff, so it's no point to go study it again. You benefit when you study in a structured fashion, in an orderly fashion, uh, with deadlines, with, with dates, with the curriculum, uh, with groups, and all of that. Absolutely. We have uh, Salim, he's asking about becoming a Hafiz. He really wants to, but he says he's afraid of the fame and people praising him, uh, but he wants to use his uh, years of his youth to do that. So how does he fight this internal conflict between doing it for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and falling into Riyadh? So this is going to sound really interesting to some people, but when you don't have that internal conflict is when you have the problem. Uh, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud says, ما أمين النفاق إلا منافق. No one is, uh, no one feels safe from hypocrisy except for a hypocrite. So that internal conflict should always exist. If it doesn't exist, there's actually a problem because when you don't feel a sense of urgency to purify your intentions, then you won't purify your intentions. So you should always be afraid of the sight of people and so on and so forth. However, that fear of the sight of people should not stop you from pursuing knowledge, should not stop you from pursuing that which is good. That's also a trick of shaitan. So you have to continue to pursue. Commit yourself to the pursuits. Um, but, uh, you know, seek refuge in Allah more vigorously. Okay? Now realize here, there's, there's a two-fold process to this. Okay? There's the pursuit part, and there's the teaching part. Okay? As far as the pursuit part is concerned, Riyah should never stop you from anything. Never. As far as the presentation and the teaching part is concerned, then sometimes yes, you know, you, you should take a break. You should you should uh, abstain at times uh, from the public eye if you find that there's a clear, insincere intention and so on and so forth. But as far as pursuit is concerned, no, you you always pursue uh, because you never know that pursuit might be what does away with the insincerity. Uh, so pursuing hef, uh is a very noble thing. Um, especially when you're young and you have the memory that you have, it is very, very good. Many people find it more difficult to memorize later on in life. So certainly memorize the Qur'an, inshallah ta'ala, commit yourself to it, and keep on working on your intentions. Shazakallahu khairan. You mentioned in a, one of your local halakat, Sheikh Omar, about the constant renewing of the intention when you're doing something. Can you expand on that a little bit? Uh, the constant need to renew your intention as you're doing something? Is that what you yeah. said? Okay. Yes. So, for example, Ibrahim salam was commanded by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to go and raise the foundations of the Kaaba. Before he goes and raises the foundations of the Kaaba, which is a direct order from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah specified him to be the one to go and raise the foundations of the Kaaba. Before he goes and raises the foundations of the Kaaba, he asks Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, you know, to make it sincere. After he raises the foundations of the Kaaba, after he and Ismail salam finished raising the foundations of the Kaaba, what do they ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Rabbana taqabbal minna. O oh Allah, accept from us. Anta you are the all-hearing and the all-knowing. So there is pre-action, during the action, and post-action. Before the action, you seek refuge in Allah, and you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to purify your intention. During the action, you try to only do that which solicits the praise of Allah, 
as opposed to the praise of the people. And even if it does naturally solicit the praise of the people, you're during the action you're constantly reminding yourself of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then after the action you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to have made your words or your deeds sincere and to forgive you for your shortcomings in them. So there's a pre, during and post process here to constant renewal of intention. One of the questions we have uh, over here is from Sister Amira. She says, I study English literature. Is that considered non-beneficial? No, studying all forms of knowledge is praiseworthy. There's Look, there's a superiority, obviously, to uh, knowledge of the Qur'an and the Sunnah, but, but studying all forms of knowledge is praiseworthy. So long as you study them you know, and, and, you, and, you, and you try to use them uh, for the benefit of the Ummah, uh, but educating yourself in all of these fields is praiseworthy. It is a form of ihsan. It's a form of excellence. But as you study them, as a believer who strives, you know, a believer of social conscience, a believer who strives to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you should be studying those forms of knowledge, inshallah ta'ala, and have in your mind, you know, how can I use this to the benefit of the ummah? So, so that's, that's praiseworthy. So, uh, secular knowledge, therefore, does not become secular knowledge. It becomes knowledge that you can employ, inshallah, for the benefit of your religion and for your ummah. Sheikh Omar, how does one increase their concentration in the knowledge that they're seeking? I mean, are there certain things that would prevent one from being able to comprehend and concentrate on their knowledge, such as certain sins, or how can you increase the concentration? Sure, I mean, and this is the famous poem of Imam al-Shafi, rahimahullah ta'ala, shakawtu ila waqi'a su'a hifli, that I complained to waqi'a about the... Um, about the weakness of my memory. So he told me to quit sinning. And he says, He says that the knowledge of Allah is light and it will not be given to a disobedient person. Uh, and this man, Waqir, is uh, Waqir ibn Jarrah, who is a great scholar, um, a teacher of Ashafi, a teacher of Ahmad, a teacher of Malik, and so on and so forth, um, who, mashallah, had a phenomenal memory. So Ashafi is asking him, how do, you, how do you maintain such a, a phenomenal memory? And he told him, that I stop sinning. So sins do affect our pursuit of knowledge. There's no doubt about it. They corrupt the heart, which is the vessel that truly absorbs that knowledge. So a person should quit sinning. A person should try, and we're, we're inevitably going to sin in some ways, but a person should try to purify themselves, uh, to purify themselves. And that goes hand in hand with the pursuit of knowledge, inshallah ta'ala. Um, and it will grow that vessel and make it more capable of, of, of comprehending, inshallah ta'ala, and absorbing. Okay, we have a question from Amina. You mentioned that striving to pull in a large number of people for one's event or class is not the better approach. So, how do we strike a balance between our efforts and our expectations? No, look, so you should do your best. So, so there's a difference between someone that's already in a position and trying to, you know, amplify your reach and so on and so forth, and being disappointed or being um, or judging your success or failure by that reach. Obviously, when we do good things, we want to reach as many people as we possibly can. But our intention should be to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So as we're trying to reach and so on and so forth, as we're pushing efforts outwards, out, out, then the goal should be to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Therefore, 
if the reach is not what you wanted it to be or what you anticipated, you're not disappointed. You're you're still pleased with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what, what he gave you, because you realize that's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala directed towards that effort. Um, so that's that's one when you're already in the position. Now what I'm saying is when you go to seek knowledge, when you're in the beginning of your pursuit of knowledge, um, and this is just a product of the, the, the time that we live in, by the way, that uh, YouTube is still very new, the internet is still very new. Before it was, you know, just, just a decade ago, you're talking about books and, and audio cassettes and so on and so forth, CDs and stuff like that. It's very easy to get famous very quickly now. If when you think about pursuing knowledge, uh, what's in your head, what you envision yourself as on stage with the light shining bright on you and, and having massive reach, then that shows you what you're actually pursuing. Your, your initial thought should be to pursue Jannah, uh, to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And even when you do get to that position, if Allah puts you in a place where you can reach masses of people, massive amounts of people, your goal should be to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So no matter what happens with the reach, even as you're doing your effort, you're not disappointed when it doesn't come to you. It's just like the pursuit of wealth. I will actually give you this example and hopefully inshallah ta'ala it'll it'll solve it all, okay? Uh, Allah, this is a religion which encourages us to pursue wealth, okay? To pursue halal wealth. The Prophet said the upper hand, which is the giving hand, is better than the lower hand, which is the receiving hand. So we should pursue, we should try to become self-sufficient and so on and so forth. But at the same time we say, pursue the dunya with your hand, not with your heart. What that means is, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala withholds the dunya from me, though I have done everything in my part to achieve it, to earn it in a halal way and so on and so forth, then I will not be disappointed. Because it's not in my heart, it's only in my hand. So likewise when it comes to these efforts and so on and so forth, these are dunyawi things at the end of the day. Um, so when we pursue impact, and we pursue to change people and so on and so forth. Number one, we don't neglect, and I'm going to say that again, we don't neglect the people in our masajid, those people that just want to learn a little bit. You know, there are people around us that want to learn. So we don't neglect them in, you know, looking for the stage, okay? Number two, even when we try to appeal to large amounts of people, uh, we only control the process and we're satisfied with whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends our way. We have a really great question from Mubashir. He wants to know how to find the correct teacher um, who we feel has the knowledge and the sincere intentions so that we can benefit from his manners. <laughs> uh, that's, that's not an easy question, um, especially not in this day and age. So here's the advice that I'll give you. Number one, you ask Allah for guidance every day. You ask Allah for guidance, always. Uh, be sincere when you ask Allah for guidance and when you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide you to the right uh, faucets of guidance. Number two, a very simple litmus test that we have from our ulama, which is a very beautiful one, that you go to the people that remind you most of the Prophet and not in dress and so on and so forth. It's not the turban and it's not the dress because what I really not meant by that was was an action and a character. So you go to those that remind you most, that exemplify the Prophet ﷺ most uh, in regards to his character, in regards to his morals, and those that reference the authentic tradition of the Prophet ﷺ most. So those who remind you of the Prophet ﷺ and those who uh, who who bring evidence from the Prophet ﷺ, um, you know, to support to support their views and so on and so forth. Um, that does not mean that we disregard. Uh, 
the ulama, absolutely not. Look, this religion is not a religion of the layman um, opening up uh, Sahih al-Bukhari and deriving rulings on his own. But it is a religion where you look for people that are that have studied Sahih al-Bukhari, for example, and that are presenting it uh, with, 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 with an understanding that seems to coincide with the understanding of, of the companions and so on and so forth, and the great scholars of our ummah. Um, and so you look for those that exemplify and you look for those that amplify. Okay, the Prophet وسلم, and you ask Allah for guidance, you ask Allah to sincerely guide you to those um, that will um, uh, that will bring you closer to him and, and closer to that which is which is correct um, and that will connect you to the Prophet وسلم. and you have to be very honest with yourself. A lot of times we choose teachers that will um, make us comfortable in the sense that uh, they'll make us complacent with our own lifestyle. So a lot of us like to go with the easiest opinion out there, right? The easiest teacher out there. Uh, this is an understanding that is in accordance with what I would want to be the truth, not necessarily what is the truth, but it's what I hope is the truth because uh, it makes life a lot easier and so on and so forth. It doesn't work that way. Uh, you have to be sincere in your pursuit. When you're pursuing the truth, you're pursuing the truth. Um, and you have to be sincere in that. You have to be intellectually honest. So there's the sincerity of the heart and there's the intellectual honesty. I would also say be very, very careful of, uh, of, you know, of, of limiting yourself um, by, by belonging to a label or a group. And the reason why I say that is, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, this is actually my khutbah yesterday, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, don't be like the people that broke up into groups and then they differed in their opinions. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned the tafarruq before the ikhtilaf. He mentioned the breaking up into groups before the differences of opinion. Why? Because once you have um, indoctrinated yourself into a group and into a label, you're no longer intellectually honest. There's no way for you to be. It's about what comes out of your group is going to be right and what comes out of every other group that's been demonized is going to be wrong. So be an intellectually honest individual. Um, and that's not going to make you popular, but inshallah, be intellectually honest. You have to be honest with yourself and you have to be honest to the truth that at the end of the day, you're pursuing Allah and the Rasulullah wasallam, and you're pursuing the truth in that regard. Uh, and you're not going to put anything in the way, any obstacles that are going to obscure that truth from you. Wallahu ta'ala. That's an excellent advice. And this is also one of the reasons why here at IOU, Blau chose not to teach the fifth and certain subject according to a particular madhab, but to be objective and allow the and allow to explore all of the different opinions. We have a question have from a Muhammad. Muhammad wants to know what can what the solution that we did not follow the correct Islamic path and then we realize that at a later point in our life. How can we make up for the time that we were on the wrong path and how do we make the transition to a new path? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not burden a person beyond his scope. We are in a constant pursuit of learning. Our life is, is, is defined by learning. And if you're the same person that you were 10 years ago, then that's not good. So it's based on our experiences. We constantly reform our understandings. We constantly reform our practices as we come across things that we believe to be more correct and more true and so on and so forth. And that's true not just in, in, in 
the pursuit of religious knowledge, but in the pursuit of knowledge as a whole, in the pursuit of just life experience. Um, and there's no shame in that. Uh, there's no shame in, in growing in one's understanding um, and constantly being willing to challenge yourself and to challenge your own understandings and things that you've held to be truths, even if you've held them to be truths for tens of years. And mashallah, there are a lot of reverts, I'm sure, that are on this uh, webinar uh, that have done just that. They were willing to challenge themselves and challenge their uh, things that they've grown up with for 20, 30, 40 years. Um, and Allah does not burden a person beyond his scope. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so when a person becomes Muslim, for example, we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala purifies them and, and expiates their sins, so all of their sins are forgiven. But the goodness that they did before, as the Nawawi rahimahullah said, he said it's not necessarily the ibadat, it's not necessarily the acts of worship, obviously, because if they were worshiping in accordance with another religion, that's another story. But, you know, good character, the goodness that they showed to their parents, the good things that they did, universal good things that they did before they became Muslim, Allah will keep them for them. Allah will credit that to their scale as well. And this was the understanding of Imam Ibn Hajar rahimahullah in his Fath al-Bari as well. It's a beautiful understanding. And what I would say is we apply this as well, that if we were doing things that were incorrect, we don't throw out the baby with the bathwater, right? Uh, we reform things. We, we get better. And we constantly pursue uh, that which we feel to be closer to the truth. And we hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and this is part of having husn al-dhan billah, assuming well of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, we'll accept those things, inshallah, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will use them for us on the Day of Judgment. It will be it'll be to our credit on the Day of Judgment. And Allah will overlook the sins and overlook the faulty understandings that we had in the past and so on and so forth. So continue, inshallah ta'ala, on, on that way. And don't... It's never good to obsess too much over the past. Uh, that's not a part of our religion, because that will inevitably lead to despair. And Allah says, لا تقنطوا من رحمة الله Don't despair in the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's never good to dwell too much on the past. Only in a way, remember the past and make use of the past only in a way that it makes you more productive in your present and your future uh, tenses. So um, that's that's my advice to you and a lot of people are in the same boat. Uh, I, I, I constantly, personally... Um, I'm challenging opinions that I've had for many years, and alhamdulillah, I, I have no shame in saying that there are many things that I said five, ten years ago that I don't hold to be true anymore. Not, And I haven't changed that opinion. I hope the, the case is that I haven't changed that opinion because I've chosen something that's more popular or more acceptable or more digestible, but I, I've chosen opinions that I find to be more true now. Uh, and that's, that's this, the, the nature of, of life and growing. And may Allah accept from everyone, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to grow. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow the best of our deeds to be the last of them, and the best of our states to be the last of them, inshallah. So that hopefully we leave this world in husn al-khitam, in the best of endings, and in the best of spiritual states, and the best of states in regards to our character, and our practice, and our knowledge, and so on and so forth. So, jazakumullah khayran, I, I, that, that's the last question that I'm capable of taking, though I've enjoyed my time with you all. But I do appreciate all of you being attentive, and Sister Yasmin and everyone that put together this webinar at IOU. Uh, Barakallahu feekum. It was it was truly a pleasure. Amin, Ya Rab. Amin. And we really appreciate you, uh, Sheikh Omar, for making time out of your busy schedule to join us today. And we really appreciate it. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless all of your efforts and, and preserve you and grant you the tawfiq to continue in the service uh, of uh, rendering Islamic knowledge to all of us and helping to inspire us. We really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. 
بارك الله فيك